welcome to Football Digest with Arida Abayomi and me, Peter Stoughton. Manchester United's start to the season goes from bad to worse with defeat to Brentford last weekend, leaving Ayrton side bottom of the Premier League table pointless after two matches. There have been rumours over a fresh takeover bid this week, with reports emerging that the detested Glazer ownership is ready to finally pack up and leave. British billionaire Jim Radcliffe and the world's richest man Elon Musk have all had their say. Elsewhere, Liverpool's new star forward Darwin Nunez got himself into the bad books with an avoidable red card on Monday night, while Chelsea and Spurs played out a lively and confrontational London derby. Deli Alou looks set to depart English football for Besiktas. Meanwhile, things don't look so rosy between two of the game's biggest superstars at PSG. Today, we are joined by the Mayor's Chief Sport Writer, Andy Dunn, and Chief Liverpool Writer for the Echo, Ian Doyle. Welcome, guys. Let's start with Manchester United. Andy. What? I am just, um, I mean, the phrase plumb in new depths uh, for Manchester United. Um, where do you go from here? Well, can, you, can you explain what happened at Brentford last week? I know you were there. Yes. I was, um, yeah, I, I can explain what happened very easily. I mean, it's the same players doing the same things. You know, why anyone thought that was going to change over the summer, I don't know. If you, you, you know, you're not getting two new starters. Martin's the centre-half. Um, it will, you know, take a while to adapt to the Premier League. And Christian Eriksen, you know, is a good player, but in in a way, a sort of luxury player. Things aren't going to change. You know, Harry Maguire isn't suddenly going to turn back into Franz Beckenbauer. Marcus Rashford isn't going to turn into Lionel Messi. You know, Jaden Sancho isn't going to be, you know, whoever. They've got too many players. You know, we tend to look so far in depth at Manchester United and think, well, what are the reasons? The ownership, which you've touched on, the turnover of managers, are they up to it? The backroom staff, the recruitment department, and all those things are, are not working properly. Let's get that right. However, there is no accounting for the fact that they have probably half a dozen players, half a dozen players whose form has literally fallen off a cliff. You can't account for the fact that Maguire you know, just cannot put together a good game. You cannot account for the fact that Jaden Sancho looks an absolute shadow of the player that he was at Borussia Dortmund. You cannot account for the fact that Marcus Rashford literally cannot trap a ball, cannot, you know, cannot finish, cannot pass. And this has been for 12 months, a 12-month tailspin, probably since Euro 2020. You cannot account for the fact that Bruno Fernandes now no longer influences a game. And... You can go on and on and on with those type of players. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is nowhere near the team. Do you remember when he was a £45 million fullback who was the future of England's defending? And now he can't get anywhere near the team. So, in a way, I, I feel almost sorry for the latest manager, Ten Hag. In the, how do you deal with that? Well, you bring in new players, so then recruitment comes in. But what I am astonished at is... is, is is that that's allowed to happen in the sense that they, they are still in the team and no one is, is actually having the backbone to change that. Also, and I look at them compared to Manchester City and Liverpool, and in terms of fitness and application, they're not they're not up to it. Now, I think there's a red herring. I think I think this idea that they ran 13 kilometres less, which they did, than Brentford, I think that's on this occasion is a red herring. They ran less because basically they had the ball more. So I don't think that. But overall, they are not fit enough for the job. You know, you know they, they. I remember last season against Manchester City for an hour, they they they, they competed very well, but then after an hour, they were they, they were blowing basically, and and they just could not keep up physically. 
So there's a whole host of problems that need to be solved. And I think I'm not the first and I won't be the last to say it's not going to be solved anytime soon. I was actually going to chime in there and say, how long do they need to solve these problems? Because like you said, it's not going to be solved anytime soon. We've got two weeks left of the transfer window. Um, they're looking at Casemiro now. They're, they're still looking at De Jong and seeing if that possibly is going to get over the line. And apparently players have asked for, for new players, according to the news. And players have been asking for new players to come in. And it's just... Is this a case of Man United and Man United fans needing to sit there patiently and just wait it out for another season? Can they go another season with performances like they had against Brentford? Well, I, I, I need to. I mean, they're literally plucking names out of a hat now in terms of the transfers, aren't they? And and the, the Frankie de Jong saga has become almost an, an emblem for what Manchester United have become over the last three or four years. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous that this has been going on all summer. And we're now only two weeks away from the window closing, and 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 still, like you know, I mean, I mean, clubs know. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know how it works. Clubs know whether they're going to get a player or not, you know, and they don't they don't allow it to go out there public and then drag on for this long. But are United fans got some patience? Yes, they are. Um, is the squad better than its performances over the last two games? Is it better than? The, well, yes, it is, but not much better. I mean, bear in mind the results of Brentford was their seventh consecutive Premier League away defeat. And in those seven games, they've scored, I think, only twice. The only goal they've scored this season was, was, was like the scruffiest goal imaginable, an own goal from McAllister that's, um, against Brighton. Probably should have been disallowed. So seven Premier League away games, 21 goals conceded, two um, scored. You know, this is not this is not a quick fix. This, with, with these players, it, it's simply not a quick fix. You cannot... I see these players are in such a such a tailspin, such a, a long period of poor form that they just don't wake up one morning and, and, and turn it around. I mean, I do think he can do things to 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 um, to brighten the side up. I, I do think that you know, I think he has to to bite the bullet and say, you know, the Harry Maguire probably needs needs a rest, and I think Varane and Martinez might make a good combination. Um, I like the left back, by the way, who they brought in. Um, and he came on second half. Um, uh, Malasia, I, I like him a lot. I think I think he's a he should be ahead of Shaw. Um, I think the right back area, um, and I'd give Alanga a bigger run. Maybe try and pierce. Maybe just give Rashford one final go through the middle rather than coming in off the left. So they've got options. They have got options. They have got players they can bring in, and and Ten Hag. You know, and, and that's the other thing, Anita, is that it's very, very early to say, to make a judgment on Eric Ten Hag. It's very early to say, well, you know, he could be another Frank de Boer. But, but he does have to take some responsibility for those two defeats because he had enough time in the summer and he's made decisions. He's, he's had Christian Eriksen for two Premier League games and played him in poor positions on both of those games. Two deep against Brentford, two forward against Brighton. And, and you saw what happened against Brentford when he collected that ball from David De Gea. Um, and a couple of little things that really sort of, I, I, I won't say trouble me, but I've I looked at it. And against Brighton, when he brought on three subs in the 91st minute, you know, and he was chasing the game. And three three rookies he brought on, it was like he was wasting his own time. And they came on and they just committed fouls. So I do think, you know, and I know it's ridiculous, but that's what we do. But I think after two games, he's got a bit to prove as well. So in answer to your question, they're going to have to have plenty of patience. 
But the side, but the distraction is now. Hopefully, they will have this distraction of possibly a change in ownership because the because the ownership now is you know, well, it, it, it's it, it'll be a long road, but it'll be they'll, they'll sell eventually. Ian, if I could just bring you in here, uh, probably a good time to play them, would you not say? Well, not if you're Liverpool. <laughs> not the way they start the season. Um, what I would say, what I would say about United, looking at it from afar, is it just seems to be a problem with attitude. It seems to be a problem with the attitude of the players. I mean, the number of times I've seen them and gone, oh well, let's have a look, see how they go, and then I'm always surprised by how bad that they actually are. I mean, against Brentford on on Saturday. I mean, obviously for fans and you know, of other of other teams there's obviously quite funny what's happening but then when you actually you know you drill down into it and you go well what, actually what is happening why is Rashford playing so poorly you know you've got these individual players who quite clearly are very good footballers but it's not happening you can't blame Ten Hag for this I mean he's only just been there five minutes but I was in in Bangkok in the summer when Liverpool played United in a friendly United won 4-0 but United put more or less their full team out and for about the first 20 minutes Liverpool's you know I'm not saying Liverpool's team wasn't that strong, but I was almost on the bench. But, you know, they, they just didn't... You know, United were 4 nil, and they, took, they scored very, four very good goals, but they just didn't look a team. I know it was early days for Ten Hag, but there's, I do worry that it's going to take him a long time to weed out... I'm going to say, from what it looks like, troublemakers in the squad, because we know how leaky things have been at United. Great for us, like, great for us, great as journalists. But, you know, for the actual team spirit and the way that they, they want to move forward as a team, it's not great if you've got certain factions, you know, one saying one thing and then you've got others saying another. Can you imagine that happening at Liverpool under Klopp, City under Guardiola? It just wouldn't happen. And I think this is what Ten Hag's got to deal with first. He's got to, you know, impose some discipline into the dressing room and, you know, put down his foot. But that's very, very difficult at United when you've got such strong personalities, such as Ronaldo and one or two others. I was going to mention, uh, it seemed like maybe you're, you're hinting that, it, that one of those disruptive influences could be Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he's obviously had a say this week. There's that fan account that uh, follows him on Instagram, which he kind of uses as his de facto PR agency these days, uh, where he mentioned only what uh, he's read 100, or he's keeping note of 100 stories that have been written about him over the last year, and only five of them have been correct. Um, and the truth will come out soon. We know, we know all this kind of stuff that Ronaldo likes to go on with. Um, but in a squad that contains very ordinary players and underperforming players, I mean, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who I feel is holding up his end of the bargain on the pitch at least. He scored something like 25 goals last season in a very poor team, team in transition. Are there not other, you know, football-based decisions that need to be taken on personnel before you start getting to people like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's sort of, you know, carrying the operation on his own shoulders, in my opinion? Is that yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go on, go on. I'll do that very quickly. I mean, the, the one decision, I mean, clearly the Ronaldo situation is the one decision that should have been made. If he doesn't want to be there, then, then you know, just let him go. I mean, I, I, I would genuinely cancel his contract, say to him, listen, you go and find yourself a club. I take what you're saying, um, Peter, in that he scored, you know, a few goals last season. But the bottom line is, is that he came and the, and, and the team didn't achieve anything at all. So, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily about what he's done, but what has he improved the team? Well, no, he hasn't. They didn't do anything last season. They're even worse this season. They were terrible with him in the team starting on on Saturday at Brentford. Uh, it's a distraction. Surely the manager can do without. And then he comes out and says, well, I, I will, well in two weeks, I'm going to 
tell all. Like, you know, why why two weeks? You know, what, what's he waiting two weeks for? I, I don't quite get that, really. You know, the windows maybe, Andy. That's what he's talking about. Maybe, 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 but um, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. His individual stats are are okay, but 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 really, does anyone really think that? Cristiano Ronaldo is is the man to lead this Manchester United team on the pitch going forward. I just can't see it, mate. Like, I'm probably the only person that can see it happening. I, I I don't know. I'm the only person that thinks Cristiano Ronaldo can still take this team um, forward and still lead this team out. But again, I'm I'm a unicorn oh. in in the, in the land of <laughs> of football yeah. honestly. You know, you know what I would say, Nita, is that actually on Saturday, I, don't, I think he played particularly poorly on Saturday, but then he wasn't alone in a Manchester United jersey. But he did have a couple of chances late on, um, a couple of headed chances. And he does get into positions that, you know, are threatening. And you would, for example, against Liverpool on um, on Monday, I think he'd probably be pretty daft not to play him. You know, he, he's played in these sorts of big games so often. And has produced so often in these big games that I, I, I still, you know, you, you you would I haven't seen, and obviously he was there. I haven't seen Liverpool on Monday night and seen Van Dijk and it was Nat Phillips on him um, on Saturday uh, on Monday night. Sorry, um, you, you you know you would fancy Ronaldo to have some joy there. So so in the short term, while he's still there and causing disruption behind the scenes, I would still probably play him. Cool. Oh my gosh, that's that's okay. Um, okay, no problem. I, I don't believe he's causing that much disruption, but no problem. We'll we'll, we'll agree to disagree there, Andy. But Ian, just just bringing you in as well. So obviously, Man United they they have this ownership that they're constantly in a battle with, and I haven't I haven't been a football fan for a long time. I'm still quite young, but ever since I started watching football, the Glazers have always been a problem for Man United. And obviously, Liverpool, you've been in a, I'd say a similar situation um, previously, not with um, your current owners now, but your previous owners. So looking at the Man United situation now, I, I guess, what what are you seeing with these owners of Man United? And what do they need to kind of avoid to avoid them going down the route that you nearly went through? Well, I can't see there being any any chance of what happened to United, what happened to Liverpool. Liverpool nearly went out of business, didn't they? And they were in the relegation zone. So I can't see that. I mean, United are too big. It just won't happen. It's like you always expect, no matter how bad the team appeared to be playing, they're always going to be a top eight team. That's just the way things are at the moment. But I think the Glazers have been there 17 years now. Is it 17 years? I want to say 2005. Yeah. So it's a long time. And... Let's be perfectly honest. While there's always going to be parts of the fan base that aren't very happy with the owners, when they were winning stuff, there wasn't a massive amount of discord. But I think since then, they've taken their eye off the ball with some of the appointments that they've made in terms of the managers. And then it all kind of stems from that. So they've been a constant all the way through it. The players have changed, the managers have changed, but they're still there. So that's something that the, the fans, you know, they can look at that and pin a lot of the blame on them. And I suppose to a certain extent that they're right, but... You know, they're about money, aren't they, the Glazers? That's what they want, money. And if somebody comes in with a massive bid for United that they think suits them, then they'll they'll sell it because it's going to cost them a lot of money to do Old Trafford up. Again, that's a stadium I've been to loads of times. And 
It's a bit like the, the Camp Nou in Barcelona. It, it looks great from the outside. When you get a bit up close, it's like, hmm, what's happening here? So I think certain stadiums like Tottenham, even Arsenal's, which is about 15, 16 years old now, Liverpool's, has moved on. So there is that kind of suggestion, looking at from the outside, that United are stagnating a bit. And it just seems as though they just, the owners just, it looks like, it partly looks like they don't care. It looks like they don't care. Well, quite clearly they do, but they just seem to be doing the bare minimum. They don't seem to be that bothered that United aren't challenging up near the top of the, the league. They don't seem to be making the right decisions to help them improve on that, which somebody follows Liverpool, that's great. Just keep them there forever. <laughs> and even uh, this week, uh, Elon Musk, the uh, richest man in the world and also a bit of a troll when it comes to social media presence, even he's now joking about the fact that United fans are begging and pleading with him to... To buy the club. So I guess the question I'm asking is, if you were Elon Musk, which three Man United players would you fire into the sun in a rocket first? <laughs> uh, okay, but Bruno Fernandes is one. Bruno Fernandes is one. He's great when there's no crowd there. Put a crowd there, and he's, he's, he's somewhat less good. Um, and then Bruno Fernandes another two times, just to be sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't look like Elon Musk is going to make the bid, let's be honest. Um, I think he's going to buy Twitter instead, which, you know, might feel like more value for money for him. But, Andy, do you know much about this Jim Radcliffe uh, interest? It's big. He's been linked with Chelsea. He's been linked with football clubs in the past. Is he a self-promoter? Is he just looking to get his name in the headline? What's he up to here? Is there any real uh, prospect of Man United being bailed out, as it were, by, by Mr. Radcliffe? <laughs> Well, I think I think he would buy it. I don't think he's a self-promoter. He, he, he's, he's serious. His interest clearly. He, he, he took over the, um, the the team Sky Cycling team now Team Ineos. He owns Nice. He's got other sporting interests. Um, I, th- I do think he's a serious, serious proposition in terms of buying the club. The Glazers, however, you know the ball is in their court, and they're not particularly. You know, the, all the campaigns to get the Glazers out. I've really fell on 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 stony ground, and and it is a massive cash cow for them. So they're not going to sell. They're not going to sell. You know, uh, um, just because there's a little bit of pressure, and because Jim Ratcliffe is has now made it clear, but he's been drip feeding his interest over the past three or four years in, in buying Manchester United and Chelsea, as you mentioned. Um, so that is serious, and he has got the money. Clearly, he's you know he has got the money. However. It's now up to the Glazers. You know, it's, it's what what they do. They're not about selling a minority stake now. They're taking out dividends on an annual basis. You know, of of ten, fifteen, twenty million pounds, um, and the club keeps going up in worth. As as Ian said, Ian referenced the fact that United are pretty much a one-off. Well, not a one-off club, but they they're pretty special in the sense that their worth is not going down, even though they're terrible on the pitch. You know, when Manchester United is sold, it will it will set a new benchmark for what a football club is worth. You know, if Chelsea was sold for two and a half billion, was it? I think the figures come out of four billion, but that's, I think, with the promise of investment put in. But actually, the base sort of value was two and a half billion. United's going to be double that. That's going to be double that. You know, the Glazers are sat on a gold mine, like it or not. Um, and then it's their prerogative of when they want to sell. And they have shown in the past... You know, people again. In reference to the fact that it was two thousand five, people forget they've been there for that long. You know, seventeen years they've been there. They listed the club on the stock exchange ten years ago in two thousand twelve. Since then, they've taken about one hundred and twenty million pounds in dividends off it. Don't forget, they've loaded the club up with debts to pay for the club. 
So, you know, why would they just sell it very easy? You know, they're not going to. They're, they're really not going to. But in answer to your original question, yes, I think Ratcliffe is a very, very serious proposition in terms of buying it. But if the Glazers make it clear that it is up for sale and they're on about selling a minority stake to a US equity firm, aren't they, I think, um, at the moment. But if they make it clear the whole club is up for sale, expect Jim Ratcliffe to have an awful lot of competition. And we all know where that competition will come from. It will come from Far Eastern and Middle Eastern concerns as well. I mean, you know, absolutely. Will other Middle Eastern concerns want a club to rival Manchester City? Absolutely, they will. So if if the Glazers make it clear that the you know the entire club is up for sale, then Ratcliffe will be one of the bidders, but there'll be plenty more as well. Because no matter what, we 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 we. we absolutely take apart United's football team day in, day out now because they're that bad. But there's no getting away from it. If that club's up for sale, it's a prize asset for anyone. Literally, I've always said it. If Man United does go up for sale, it's going to be... What Chelsea encountered, it's probably going to be double that because that club is too big to just let let go by to just just anybody. So Jim Ratcliffe, he will have a lot of um, competition in that aspect, but it's not happening yet. The Glazers do have to sell, and if they're not, hopefully they're not, but just from a rival perspective, you know, if they're not willing to sell, then it's good for all of the other rivals. But Ian, bringing you in, and we're going to move on to... The game that kind of blew my mind, Liverpool against Crystal Palace. Now, we have to start with Darwin Nunez, right? We have to start with him. I didn't know that he was this much of a... I don't want to label him as a hothead, but from what I saw with the headbutt, I'm thinking, wow, this guy, he, he's got a lot to learn from to, stay, to be in this Premier League, right? Well, the, the interesting thing for me is that I, I checked this out and he played 167 games beforehand. And he'd only been sent off once, and that was for two bookable offences, like tackles. So it seems, to me as though, it, seems, it, it just seems to me as though quite a lot of things had to come together. I, I was speaking to somebody from, from Portugal, and they said that when he moved to Benfica for the first year, he struggled a little bit to cope with the pressure of being the, you know, it was, I think it was Benfica's record sign. And in fact, he was the record signing for uh, the Spanish team that he played for before. I can't remember which one. I think it was Almira, actually. So that's three consecutive you know, record signings for somebody who's only 23. So he's kind of used to the pressure, but it's obviously not able to cope with it so much. But in terms of the actual game itself, he'd missed a couple of chances before and, you know, he'd done well coming off the bench in the first two games. I actually think that had Roberto Firmino been fit, there's every chance that he wouldn't have been on at the time, whether he'd been substituted or he would have still not been come on from the bench. So there's that. I don't necessarily think that he's a hot... I think just everything just got to him because. It's any footballer these days at this kind of level. If you're putting a headbutt on somebody, especially if you're the, the record side, they must know the cameras are on them all the time anyway. You know, so it's, it's like that's what makes it even more stupid. Although I've seen some Liverpool fans try to justify it, which is just ridiculous. I mean, uh, he, he apologised, didn't he, on, on uh, Tuesday? So and I felt like putting him, you know, some Liverpool fans are wonder why he's doing this because they think he's not done anything wrong. But he cost Liverpool two points there because Liverpool would have beaten. Crystal Palace had he still been on, even if, even if he, um, even if he'd have been substituted straight away, because you saw that when when he went off, Liverpool actually played better going forwards and created more chances, but they're not there. Although, you know, Andy's seen enough games at Anfield to know when Liverpool are kicking towards the cop second half and they're a goal down, they tend to create a lot of chances anyway. So, can't read too much into it, but 
Yeah, it's the stupid thing for him is that he's it's obviously going to take him a while to adapt, and now he's just wasted three games of not adapting. And he would have had a, probably had a, a whale of a time against United in the defence. So it's kind of done, you know, it's it's done him and it's done Liverpool and it's helped United. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice him um, the other night. We had Phillips in the team. James Milner had the captain's armband uh, during the game. Tamikis was playing as well. All of a sudden, Liverpool look, you know, kind of quite skinny when it comes to squad depth. Added to that, players like Trent Alexander-Arnold and Virgil van Dijk have started the season in, I would say, from an outsider's perspective, really, really poor individual form. Am I am I right or wrong in either of those conclusions? Right. Well, let's not forget that they have about 10 injuries. So, you know, no matter what team you are, the reason that Phillips was playing is because Canati and Matip's out and Gomez got a knock in, in training. And when he actually came on Gomez, he did he did well. So he'd have definitely been started and he, he'd been fully fit. I mean, that Phillips, Liverpool almost sold him about 23 times over the past few years. So, you know, it, it was hard work for him. He started quite well, but the longer the game went on, he looked very much the player who hadn't played in the Premier League for 15 months. So you can't be too tough on him. In terms of Simicast, he only came on for the last half an hour, I think. And he's been out for a couple of weeks with injury anyway, so he'd only just come back. So And he, you know, scored a winning penalty in the FA Cup final last year. So And he did well last year, so I don't necessarily think that shows any kind of you know lack of squad depth. Liverpool's, the, the problem that a lot of Liverpool fans have got is the midfield. Now, Milner played because Henderson was another one who, who picked up an injury during the, you know, I think it was the day before, and he could only play half an hour. And you've got Thiago's out for a while, Oxley Chamberlain's out for a while, Curtis Jones, and we're not entirely sure when when these with these players are going to come back. And so take Henderson out suddenly, and Cater was only coming back from a from an illness. You're down to three midfielders now. Again, there's not many teams could cope with losing that many players. The problem for Liverpool is that it's come at a time when Klopp loves his preparation for the season. He's not been able to do it as as, as long as he would have done. So he would have, and, but the fact that they're only playing one game a week for the first three weeks, he thought, well, we can get away with this. But unfortunately, all the players that he probably would have rotated in because there's not a lot of the actual starters that have been injured, the regular starters, but they're not able to chop and change, which is what he loves to do. And I think that's been the issue. I mean, I'm not really massive into the stats and all this kind of stuff, but I saw something online yesterday that said whatever the XG expected goals difference, whatever that is between you, I think Liverpool's is the highest So it, of all the teams that played in the Premier League. So they create loads of chances. They're just not scoring them. And then when the other team has a couple of shots, it's going in. Going back to Trent and, and, and Virgil, I can see why people think Trent's not doing particularly well because he got out jumped by a bloke that's taller than him at the far post. But... Yeah, you know, you know that happens. You know, Mitrovic is actually quite good. You know, so that can happen. Trent scored against Man City. He he, he had a hand in the second goal against Fulham, and he created at least three chances on uh, on Monday. Now, I I agree that I don't think he's anywhere near his best, but he's hardly the reason Liverpool haven't won the first two games. I think with Van Dijk, he's another one, not quite at his best. I mean, the the penalty at Fulham was just one of those things, and he was obviously he was alongside Nat Phillips against. Uh, Against Palace, and it'll be more, more, you know, more interesting to see when things settle down a little bit in terms of the centre backs because he's, I think he's played, already played alongside two or three already this season, and we're only about three games in. So, you know, it's 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 almost like back to the pandemic football season where Liverpool had Fabinho and Henderson playing centre back. Hope he doesn't get that bad because yeah, yeah, I can't be doing with that again. Got a title run to contend for, mate. You can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I think the titles, without wishing to be too negative, I, I genuinely think Klopp said something towards the end of last season before the Champions League final, and he said, 
He was asked about, they played Southampton away and Harvey Ellis and Curtis Jones had started. And he kind of made the points that he put his arm around him and said, look, this could be, you know, this could be the future for us. And then he said, it could be a transition. You know, we're going through a transitional period. And that was before Mane went. He was going to be a big loss because he's very representative the way that Liverpool have played under Klopp. So I think it'll be a transitional season for Liverpool. I never thought they'd realistically challenge for the title. I think City will walk it. Um, but I think Liverpool will still be up there in the top four and them and Tottenham, you know, battling out for second. Liverpool and Tottenham battling out for second. Ian, I'm going to hold you to that. I've, I've, right? I've been saying it, I've been saying yeah. it for the past few weeks, so I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> so what, where does Chelsea land in this? Come on, where's, where's the Chelsea favouritism here? I'm, I'm feeling a lot of bad energy towards Chelsea. I think it's going to be a Liverpool... Chelsea battle for second, but that's just my bias. And speaking of Chelsea, a shocking match in my eyes anyway, but Andy, I'll come to you. Um, Chelsea versus Tottenham. What was your analysis of that whole game? Because from, from the players to the referees to the managers, there was just so much to talk about. Oh, it was a brilliant game. I mean, I, I, I know probably from a Chelsea fan's point of view, shocking maybe in terms of, you know, um, refereeing decisions possibly an eventual outcome. But it was a cracking game. It was a brilliant game. And strange enough, it was the best I've seen Chelsea play for, for some considerable time. That includes the end of last season. And I saw them, I saw them at Goodison Park um, when they won in the first game of the season. They won, they sort of like stumbled over the line to a certain extent. But they were, I thought they were fantastic on Sunday. I, I thought, honestly, I thought that was as good as they've played. Um, I, I, Ian's referenced the um, the XG scenario. I think the XG was off the scale probably on on Sunday before um, Spurs got those two equalisers. Darwin Nunes, by the way, Ian, his XG was excellent on Monday. If that's any consolation to him as he was sat there staring down the barrel of a three-match ban and having Klopp um, call him out, his XG was excellent. So, you know, there's always a silver lining somewhere, I guess. But Chelsea's XG was superb. And they were really good in it. They were really good. And I actually... Pre-season, listening to Thomas Tuchel, if you remember, he was saying, oh, well, this is a team in transition. It's a club in transition. We're moving from one ownership to another. The the upheaval of Abramovich being um, sanctioned and the club being in limbo took its toll. And I agreed with a lot of that, but I didn't buy into this idea that, okay, we're a team in transition. We'll have to wait and see what we do this year. That squad is a, a really, really good squad. And the way they played for most of that game, the majority of that game on Sunday showed me that they are contenders, that they they will not be, they should not be content just to say, okay, well, we're going to be battling in that best of the rest. City and Liverpool, those two disappear over the horizon and we're battling the rest. Not at all. Chelsea are as viable um, competitors to Manchester City as Liverpool are. They're really, really good. I mean, the finishing was poor on Sunday and they had a couple of things, not 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 as black and white decisions go against them, but sort of borderline decisions, you know, grey areas went against them. However, I think that when everything's calmed down after that, you look at that Chelsea team and it's a, it's a really good team and it's a really good bench. Again, just referencing Liverpool's game on Monday, I looked at that Liverpool bench and obviously you can now name, what is it, it's in nine players on the bench and I looked at that bench and I'll tell you what, I bet a couple of supporters didn't recognise a few of those names. You know, a couple of those names on that bench. You look at Chelsea's bench and you actually recognise, you actually, 
you actually look and you think, blimey, he's still there. Carl Budson Adoy's still there. You know, you know, and I mean, what, what, and they've got quality in depth. And I think, as I say, the, the controversy over that game lingered a little bit. But the lasting impression should be that Chelsea, you know, they're going to be realistic contenders this year. They really are. Anita, um, some of the controversy over that game came in the aftermath. I know Sky analysed it and Graham Souness was saying things like it's a man's game. He loves seeing men go at it. Um, you're a Chelsea fan and a champion of women's football as well. Was there any need for people to be so offended by his comments? What did you make of him? Ah... Uh... Do you know, I feel like it was just so stupid from Graham. I, it, it's it's one of those ones where you look at him and you, you know he doesn't mean it in a derogatory way. He doesn't mean it as to say, like, women's football can't do this and things like that. It's more of just, like, his kind of figure of speech. And that's kind of the kind of speech we're trying to knock out of football. So him saying that on live television where millions of people are going to be watching it and another couple of millions will probably watch that back. It's just the stupidest thing that I've seen someone say on television for a long, long time, especially when you've got Karen Carney sitting right next to you and the women's, the women's have just won the Euros after having a literally, basically a dogfight with um, Germany as well. So... I understand the anger. I get where all of the um, annoyance is coming from. Me too. Like, I'd I'd be a bit annoyed just after the summer we've just had. And you're saying it's a man's game. It's just a game, bro. Like, it's actually just a game. You got to knock that kind of vocabulary out. I understand that he didn't mean it in that way, but that's the type of things we got. We just got to knock out of football. At the end of the day, it's a mentality. And one of the one of the reasons why he brought up, I suppose, I don't know, I think he's called it a man's game, physical confrontation, he loves all that, players going at it. One of the reasons for that, obviously, was the way that Spurs contributed to, to the game. And Ian, I just wanted to bring you in here. They've got a nasty streak now, uh, which I don't think Spurs teams have had historically, certainly not in the last maybe five, ten years. Is that what they needed? I know that you were talking about them as potentially second place. Is that what they need? Are people like Romero pulling hair in the box, Richarlison two-footing people around the pitch? Is, is it, <laughs> well, probably <laughs> they don't really need Richarlison going around two-footing people because he's going to spend most of his time being suspended if he carries on doing that. But uh, I know what you mean. I think it kind of comes from Conte, doesn't it? I, mean, I think he's hilarious. I think he's brilliant. I mean, he knows he knows how to win the league. He's done it with Chelsea. So, I mean, I can't believe United didn't get him in. He, pro- he probably didn't get him in for the reason that He's, he, he knocks heads together and, you know, he gets things sorted out. So, I don't know whether, I don't know what was going on there for United. But anyway, Tottenham have got him, which I think was a great sign. And I think they did, he did well to get him in the Champions League last season. I think this season, as I said, they're going to be really up there. They beat, they beat City twice last year. So, that kind of gives you a signal about how good they are. Um, they're probably not good enough to win the league. But, yeah, they will, you know, bloody a few noses. And, I mean, and Conte and Tuchel at the end was just... I know, again, this is one of those things, right, where people pretend to be outraged by it. You would be if it happens every single week. But every now and again, it shows you that... I'm not... Okay, it shows that the managers care. It shows you that they're as invested in the games as the supporters are. And, you know, we've seen in recent... Well, not recent years, for a long time, Chelsea and Tottenham don't really get on. Think back to the... I think it was the 2016, wasn't it, when Tottenham were going for the league. They went to Chelsea and Drew, and it all kicked off there, which, again, 
if you're watching from the outside, it's brilliant and you, it looks like a great atmosphere. But you wouldn't want that every single game. But yeah, I think just talking about Chelsea, who's who's Chelsea striker? Well, that's not a facetious. That's not a facetious question. I'm genuinely asking. I'm genuinely asking. Who is Chelsea striker? So, well, it, 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 it is. I mean, it, it's it's probably probably kind. They they played Sterling as yeah. a as a false nine on Sunday. Havertz sort of like on the left. Havertz was probably more central against Everton. So Havertz, Sterling. They've got a couple. I I understand what you're saying in that, but but then again, we probably could have said that for Manchester City, couldn't we? The last three or four seasons. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but Manchester City are a lot better team than Chelsea. I can get away with it. To yeah. be honest, well, they the are. They are. But I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, Chelsea. You know, I've been in the Champions League final. Might sort of like have a point on 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 that particular argument. They are overall a better team. I know what you mean, and he might well get in a striker. Um, but I, I do think that they've got plenty of score score options. Go back to Spurs. Ian. The interesting thing on Spurs as well is that. I didn't think they played particularly well on Sunday, to be honest. Um, um, but what they did have, what they did have, is off the bench they brought on Basuma, they brought on even Perisic, they brought on Richarlison. Yeah, I mean, you know. So all of a sudden, Spurs. Are, 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 you look at Spurs bench and you're thinking, hang on a minute. And again, they're, they're blessed in the unlike Liverpool, for example, they haven't got too many injuries at the moment. But all their signings from the summer are starting on the bench. They've got some serious strength in depth. They really have. You know, if you think that their front three will be Kane, Son, and Kulaseski, Kulaseski, and then they've got Richarlison to come in after that, you know, that's a, that, that's a that's a decent squad. And again, I mean, just again, just referring back to Conte, he's absolutely right. I mean, that, that's it's the miss of the century, isn't it? Manchester United's not going for Conte. I mean, absolute miss of the century. I mean, I, I, I hope Ten Hag does well. I like him. I hear good things about him. I don't know him well enough to make a, a solid judgment at the moment. But really, Antonio Conte was available. Then it's just, you know, it, it, it is a mystery. And it still baffles me up until this day that Man United didn't go in for Antonio Conte. And then the week after he was announced with um, Tottenham, you sat on his culture. That that just blew my mind. But anyway, anyway, I'm not really going to go hone into Chelsea, even though, Ian, I have a lot of words to have with you, but I'm sure we'll get you back. <laughs> I'm just being podcast. honest. I'm just being honest. <laughs> oh, whatever. We'll get you back on this podcast and we will go at it, especially when Chelsea do play Liverpool. That should be an interesting um, battle. Uh, I think that's happening on the 18th of September. So, Ian, I will see you then. But, <laughs> another team to have won both their games is Arsenal and to be fair they've they've quite surprised me not just because they've won their matches but just in the manner that they are playing and to to be fair I, I do kind of see a difference we were sat here a couple of weeks ago talking about Arteta and after watching the all or nothing and we can kind of see some some growth with the manager and Andy coming to you some some kind of growth and improvement with the squad overall right Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know that, that all or nothing. It's actually of all the all or nothing. It feels like there's been a million of them now. But um, I think this is quite good. You know, and, yeah. and he's like, I mean, he doesn't. You know, I mean, some of the nonsense. I mean, the again, referencing Liverpool. You know, the, the you'll never walk alone through the speakers. And then they to get them used to the atmosphere. They go there and get beat four nil. If I remember right, they were probably lucky to get nil that game. And and it, 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 you could actually really just rip them apart about it. But 
I like the way he goes about his business, Arteta. You know, and some of it is cringeworthy in this, you know, the philosophies and this sort of stuff, the cultures, the resets, all the lingo that we hear now from, you know, the surrounds managers and, and the cult of the manager and how. But I like the way they play. They made some great signings. You know, it, it is a sign of how good City are that they can, they can, you know, pretty much gift Gabriel Jesus and, and Alexander Zinchenko to to Arsenal, obviously for for a fair deal of money, but they can, you know, they, they're not missed by City yet. They could transform Arsenal. That's a measure of how good City's squad is. Um, but those two signings, for example, to me symbolise what this Arsenal and this project is all about is that they're really effervescent players. They're really buzzy type of players. They might not be, some people might have reservations about their, their, their final product. I don't know why, because I think they're both really good, but they sum up that sort of exuberance that this, this, this young Arsenal side has got, you know, and you look all over the park now and, and these players are, I mean, Martinelli, I just think, you know, just brings so much to the table. Odegaard, I think is fantastic. Bukayo Saka, is an absolute standout player. So, you know, if I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm really, really, and it's only two games in, I think there are issues there in the team, but, and I think centrally, defensively, I'm not convinced. I think they'll concede goals. However, you know, they're full of, I just think they're full of youthful vibrancy, enthusiasm, and no little talent. And I think they're going to do really well, really, really well. And the expectations as well, I think it's quite good. The Arsenal fans may be, because, We've all been to the Emirates where it's pretty much since they went to the Emirates, actually, from Highbury. When things don't go too well, it can get, it can get all all football grounds, you know, home fans can turn against their team. I've always found it particularly um, stark there that the, the, the home fans can get a bit a bit on, on the players' backs, their own players' backs. I think that's changed. I think expectations maybe aren't as high. And that's a good thing because now they're more encouraging. They see they see an idea that Mikel Arteta and Adu as as technical director, they have got a a plan, and that plan, you know, I mean, Touchwood seems to be working quite well at the moment. Ian, um, I just wanted to bring you back in here. I know Andy's just mentioned Gabriel Jesus and the club that he's left behind, which is Manchester City, of course. They brought in. Uh, Fairly decent replacement, it would have to be said, in uh, in Erling Haaland. Uh, he touched the ball eight times uh, against Bournemouth at the at the weekend, which is about as many touches as I managed in my last game of eleven aside. Sadly, um, Pep Guardiola with people like Aguero, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Samuel Eto'o. Uh, there's been, I don't know. He's not always got on with his strikers, and he's not always facilitated strikers within his squad. Do you think? There's any danger of that happening with Haaland, or is he too good to have worries over? Uh, first question, your eight touches in your game, were they all kick-offs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two of them, but one of them was a tap-in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, go. okay, first thing, Jesus, I would want to, I, it would never have happened, but I would have wanted to see him join Liverpool because I think he's excellent. I think he's exactly the kind of play Liverpool would have really, you know, prospered with. I can't believe Arsenal. I, can't, I genuinely couldn't believe he was being linked to Arsenal and then he left. I mean, not being nasty to Arsenal, they are obviously one of, traditionally one of the biggest teams, but <clears throat> not quite at the moment. So Arteta must have, you know, sold him a, a very nice vision, shall we say, or very, you know, he, the blueprint must be very, very good. And Zinchenko, the same thing as well, because it's not just money, Peter, come on. It's not just money. These footballers get paid enough as it is. They don't always go for the money. But, um, 
But yeah, I think Zinchenko as well. But go, yeah, so I think Hayes is going to be excellent. I think he's not, he's not in Haaland's league. He's not in, you know, he's not absolutely up there, the very, very best. So that's probably why City decided to get rid. And as we said last season, they played without a striker. Even when they, when they played with a striker, they did, at the time they put Jesus on the wing. So I wonder what he was thinking. That's, yeah. So, it's, I mean, he always plays well, always plays well against Liverpool. Let's put it that way. So if that's the bronze of a, of a, of a talented player, then that's, that's, you know, that shows that he is one. Going to Haaland, can't see any problems with him at all, to be honest. He is, we've seen, but the only problem he might have is if he, he seems to get injured a little bit. Like every now and again, he'll be out for a few weeks or a month or whatever have you. And that won't be a problem for City because they're so used to not playing without a striker. But I can't, he'll score 20, 30 goals this season. He just stands at the far post, taps it in. And even then, he's got it. He can score from 25, 30 yards. Just we saw his goal against West Ham. That's the kind of goal that City haven't really scored a lot of last year. So certainly since Aguero left or wasn't playing. Um, so I don't think there'll be any problems there at all. Can't see it at all. I know, I know you're saying about Guardiola and his, um, you know, he doesn't really get on with strikers. You know, it seems that way. But Aguero seemed to do all right under him. So there you go. Yeah. So just come here. You know, he had eight touches, um, but one of them should have been. If you remember when Foden went through early on and 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 went for goal himself, and and it was a very simple pass to square to Haaland who would have scored. That's the type of goals that he will score because, and it was very interesting what Pep said after the game. He says, well, Foden probably didn't see him. He said, but he will in the future. In other words, Pep will be reminding him, you know, that that's what to do. So Haaland will be, I say, the fitness is an issue. It, well, it has been an issue in the past, but he'll just score. He'll score plenty of goals, won't he? Yeah. I, I, and again, going back to Jesus, I, I've, I've, I've been a massive fan of Jesus since he came in. I think he got a bit of a raw deal from Pep. I really do. Um, I think, you, you know, um, he would have, had he been played consistently, he would have scored goals in a way that Aguero did. Listen, he, you know, he, he's been a, he, he's been a, well, not necessarily a first choice, but, you know, often a first choice striker for Brazil. Um, his work rate is superb. He's quick. He's got good feet. I, I, again, he's got a couple of goals against Liverpool that, that, and the one he scored on Saturday, that ability to finish without minim, with, with minimal backlift. And again, I mean, Arsenal have pulled off a massive coup getting him. I do think that's an example, by the way, of of, of I hate to say it, but having good contacts agents wise. I mean, I think I think Arsenal have worked the Oracle there through particular agents, um, and and have done that well. But Holland will be fine. Holland will be fine. And again, if we're talking City, just quickly in general, that is it is amazing that they can let a player like Jesus go, a player like Zinchenko go. And quite possibly a player like Bernardo. I mean, I mean, they're talking about Bernardo Silva, you know, leaving. And 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 City fans aren't that well if he goes, Bernardo Silva gonna say he's been one of the best players I've seen for the last three seasons. He's absolutely magnificent. And they can, you know, bear in mind they could they could genuinely, Manchester City could genuinely lose Gabriel Jesus, Alexander Sinchenko, and Bernardo Silva. And no I'm one will name Sterling. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot Raheem Sterling. Yes, sorry, England's best player. Yes, as well. So you know, and and actually, you 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 you're not even you're not even saying. Well, well, they're going to be worse. Well, they're not. Well, there's very few teams in Europe. I would say that Bernardo, Jesus, and Sterling wouldn't get into. Very few. Oh, ex- exactly, exactly. Um, so I mean, I, I think as it happens, um, circumstances will probably mean that Bernardo stays. But you know, he, he still could go. And and if 
I mean, fancy losing those four players and still, you know, I, I don't think anyone now, even after two games, would back against City for the title. I wish, I just wish Chelsea could be in that predicament, losing key players and, oh, Ian, give it a rest. What about 50 midfielders? Do you know what? I mean, just adding another one. I'm, I'm fed up. I'm, I'm so fed up. I mean, we're, 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 what part? What part of the? What part of the game does Anthony Gordon play? If they get him, listen, was literally gonna come on to him and Mandeli Ali as well. This whole midfield Royal Rumble is, is. Blowing my mind, this this transfer window, honestly. But Delhi Ali going on loan to Besiktas is supposedly definitely happening. And Andy, I'll come to you. Kind of you Everton signed Delhi Ali earlier on this year under Frank Lampard. And I kind of thought this could be a remontada for the kids, right? He's all in my eyes, he's always been that that young player that was destined to be someone great. But He's now on a low move to Besiktas. And it's the question is, what has become of this this guy? I, I'm just what's happened? I, I I'll tell you what I need to if you can, and I'm sure um most people have seen this, dig out um Jose Marino on Deli Alley. Um on that. I think that was another was that another all or nothing scenario, wasn't it? I think it was something like that. Anyway, so and whatever you think about Jose, spot on, on this one. And, and and actually when I watched that over and over again. I think to myself, you know what? For all the stick I've given him, Jose, he, he's got something about him. He knows something, doesn't he? And it's an absolutely wonderful clip. If listeners aren't aware of it, and Jose pulls um, Delhi Ali into his office and he says, like, you know, he says, I'm 56 now. He says, it only seems like yesterday I was 21. He says, like, you know, time flies. He says, and you will regret if you don't make the absolute most of yourself. The implication that, that Jose is saying in a very in a brilliant way, he's saying to Delhi, listen, mate, you are you are literally throwing stuff away here. You are not applying yourself properly. You are not making the most out of your talents. Look around you at the football scene now. And by the way, professional football nowadays, I mean, they are unbelievable in, in, in the sense that maximizing their ability, you know, the smallest things, you know, I, I don't care what people say now about how much they're paid and, and it's it's obscene. Whether the the amount that goes into it, the sacrifice. Yeah, and I'll use that word sacrifice. People say, well, well, how can you sacrifice when you're earning three hundred grand a week? Well, the sacrifice comes from not doing the sorts of things that that you know the the twenty year old men and women like to do. Whatever. And Marina was clearly saying to Deliana, the implication was, listen, mate, you are not making the most of your talent, and your talent was there from a very early age. And don't forget the Deliana's. Deli Ali played an awful lot of games at the highest level, including England. Listen, I remember him being a standout player for England. That's the, the, that's how good he was, and part of the England future. And he played an awful lot of games before the age of twenty at the highest level. His stats were brilliant for Spurs, you, you know. And then the classic case of, of of almost too much too soon. That's got to be the case with him, you know. And I just think it. it, it he he will deny it. He will say that he hasn't, like you know, that he's committed himself. But listen, it, it was a terrible signing for Everton. Um, I, I said that at the time. It was just unfathomable, really, that, that they they should sign him because how could you be that far off at Spurs? There was clearly something wrong. There was clearly something wrong, and it clearly wasn't just about his ability because we know he's got fantastic ability because he showed it for four years, probably more, um, since he moved to Spurs from MK, and. 
obviously the attitude is wrong. So listen, let's hope he goes to Besiktas and um, and does well um, and maybe comes back and reinvents himself. But nothing I've heard, nothing I've heard about his um, about his time at Everton suggests to me that he's going to get back on track anytime soon. Um, Ian, we've got one more topic to cover. Um, I don't know if you watched the PSG game the other week where uh, Neymar uh, Kylian Mbappe misses a penalty then tries to take a penalty the second penalty that they were given in the game he tries to take it off Neymar in the process shoving seven time Ballon d'Or winner Lionel Messi aside in order to have that argument with Neymar then Vitinha has the ball with options on a counter attack he's got Messi one way who's got Hakimi outside him and he's got Mbappe the other way he goes for Messi Mbappe stops running and gives up on the counter attack. So, I guess my question to you, as a Liverpool writer, is: Did Liverpool dodge a bullet in not getting Mbappe? No, no, no. I'm just wondering, what kind of attitude is that to be demonstrating at 23 years of age when you've got Messi and Neymar in your team? Um, it's unfathomable, unfathomable to me that somebody so promising and so good and so highly regarded could could um, carry himself in such a way. Well, it clearly means that Paris Saint-Germain are only going to win the French League by 30 points this year now with that kind of discord in the squad. Um, I mean, I mean, it's one game. If he's doing it all season, yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of egos, isn't there, at PSG? And it, it's a lot of, okay, everybody's got an ego. Everybody, you need one to get on. But for some people, it gets a bit too much. And I think with Neymar in particular, he's one of them. Messi, no. Mbappe, you would say to them, if you wanted to give any, because obviously 46-year-old me giving advice to 20-odd-year-old Mbappe, the, one of the best footballers ever, would be to you know, be a bit more messy than, than Neymar, basically. So uh, he'll be listening to this and hopefully he'll, he'll pick up on this. You know, <laughs> along with all the Chelsea players that are listening to it and going, right, we're going we're gonna to sort him out, et cetera, et cetera. So, you, the thing yeah. is, Neymar, I know we speak about Neymar and last season he was kind of, he was drifting, he was a bit of a lost soul. He's, I don't know whether it's because the World Cup is on the horizon right now, but he's actually been PSG's top man at the start I, of the season. I've always, I've always liked Neymar. I think you've got to bear in mind that he's like had to carry the weight of Brazil, which is the biggest footballing country and he's at, not just for like a couple of years it's nearly 10 now isn't it you know and and he has managed to do it play where did he play Barcelona he did reasonably well there didn't he you know he went to Paris Saint-Germain which again going back to what you said Peter right a bit of that um I suspect but I mean overall yeah he's a great player but then so is Messi it's the old argument isn't it can you have that many great players in your team especially when they're all in the same kind of position buying for that it gets a bit tricky then because all of them would expect to be the main man and you got three of them, and that's always the, the, the that's always the issue that all of these great teams have. You saw the Galacticos, didn't we? Real Madrid, and that that didn't work. So, a little bit of a case study there. I, I also think, just talking generally, I, I always think if you look at Paris Saint Germain and Manchester City, and to a lesser extent Bayern Munich, and the massive advantage that they have in each of their respective leagues, every time they don't win the title, the manager should be considered to get sacked. Did you say every time they don't win the title, they yeah. manage Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. That's what happened to Chelsea, I needed to be fair. I'm sorry. I was going, Peter, you just <laughs> say the words out of my mouth. That, that, that's what happened to Chelsea. You know, of course, Ancelotti <laughs> wins the title in his first, wins a double, I think, in his first season at Chelsea, finishes second in the second season, and he gets the sack. That's what happened to a lot of clubs, isn't it? You know, I mean, mm. Van Hard, the sack at United, you know, after he won the FA Cup. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Well, I, I mean, that, that must be the case of PSG. I mean, if you don't win the title. But I haven't said well, that. Well, Pochettino, Pochettino won it and he got sacked. Quickly back to Neymar. I think, I think, I'm glad Ian's given a leg up Neymar because, you know, he gets some stick Neymar and I've seen him get stick at Anfield, yeah. um, by the way, from Liverpool fans when he's played there. And he, he can be, he can wind people the wrong way and he can play act. But you know what? Strangely enough, I think he is the most, um, how to put it, sort of underrated, overrated Galactico. He, he, yeah. he, he's, a, he's a really good player. I mean, a really, really top quality player. Um, and... You know, I, I, again, I, I would what Mbappe did the other day, which was astonishing when he just stopped playing, wasn't it? It really was. It, it is lit. It was literally the sort of stuff you see that you do yourself on the Sunday league pitch or whatever. You know, have a come on with, with with your mate for not passing to you. It's just not what you expect from someone like that. But I don't think Neymar would do that sort of stuff, you know. And I do think that um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him leave Brazil um, in November. I don't think I've seen Neymar do any of that in his well, career. Can be a bit, but yeah. He, he likes to fall over quite a lot. He, he, does. Does. he has a strop. He has a bit of a strop, but, you know. Anyway, 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 look, before we go over time, let's just close this out. Yeah. Before I get back onto Ian about his prediction for this season. <laughs> but, Ian, it's been lovely having you. Andy, it's been lovely, lovely having you as always as well. Um, right, I'm, I'm so rattled right now. I can't even close this off properly. But... Make sure you follow us all on our socials. Make sure that you stay in contact, especially with um, Football Digest, because there will be these podcasts weekly. Is that right, Peter? Weekly, these weekly podcasts every week, every Thursday. Make sure you stay tuned. Make sure you get involved with us as well on social media. If you think I said something out of line or Peter said something out of line, let us know, you know? We'll talk about it in our next episode. And stay safe, stay blessed. See you guys later. 